If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you know you have eternal life because you have trusted in his work on the cross, trusted totally in him, not trusting in anything you have done, but totally in what he has accomplished through his shed blood on the cross. If you are a believer, I want to ask you this question. Are you ready for the judgment seat of Christ? If my experience is any indication, there's a good chance right now that there are some of you who are sitting there thinking, wait a minute, judgment seat of Christ, I thought I was forgiven, that I wouldn't have to pay the price for my sins. Well, that's absolutely true. But there is a judgment seat, the Bema seat of Jesus Christ, and that is for us as believers when we will stand before our Savior and give an account for our lives. This should be something we think about every moment of every day, something we should anticipate. It really should motivate us that we will stand before the Savior, not because of our sins, because they have been covered by his shed blood, but for what we have accomplished in terms of fulfilling our divinely ordained mission in life. The judgment seat of Christ. Bob Wilkin is the director of Grace Evangelical Society. And the Grace Evangelical Society is dedicated to teaching that faith alone is what is required to receive the gift of eternal life. Bob has written an entire book on the judgment seat of Christ. I shared with Bob that it was my experience that most believers have not really heard this teaching. And I asked Bob if he would think back on his own experience when he first came to Christ How long was it before he heard about the judgment seat of Christ? I remember when I was on staff, I was on staff for four years with Campus Crusade for Christ in college campus ministry, and I heard Bill Bright speak on a number of occasions. He was the founder and president of Campus Crusade for Christ, and he rarely spoke about rewards, but I remember a few times he said something about the fact that maybe there would be rewards, but we shouldn't be thinking about rewards because that would be to be wrongly motivated. We should be motivated by love for Christ or something like that. Well, when I got to Dallas Theological Seminary um, back in the late 70s, uh, I remember the first paper, exegetical paper, a paper about the Greek text that I wrote uh, was on 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 to 27, where Paul talks about running the race and fighting the fight, and we're striving for an imperishable crown. And he ends that passage in 1 Corinthians 9:27 by saying, Therefore I discipline my body and bring into subjection, lest when I preach to others I would be, the Greek is adakimos, it means disapproved, not approved by Christ. The issue there is that believers are going to appear at something called the judgment seat of Christ. That specific expression occurs in 2 Corinthians 5.10. And we'll be judged by Christ to determine our degrees of reward in the kingdom. Will Christ approve of us? Will we rule with Christ in the life to come? The issue there is not our eternal destiny. It's our eternal reward. And you're right. Many, many people who know for sure they have eternal life have never really considered the judgment seat of Christ. Now, we would like that to change starting today if you've never heard this teaching because it's highly motivating. 
the thought that you're going to stand before the one who died for you, who shed his blood for you, and give an account for the life he has given to you. I mean, that is staggering in its implications. And I personally find it as, I find it to be a daily motivation for me to remember, I am going to give an account for this day. But let me again emphasize that we do not pay the penalty for our sins. The penalty for our sins is placed on the cross. Here again, Bob Wilkin. We're not going to be judged for sins, but uh, let me tie it together this way. In, in John chapter 5 and verse 24, Jesus says the one, that the one who believes in him, quote, shall not come into judgment, unquote. He's referring there to the great white throne judgment of Revelation 20, 11 to 15. And we will never be judged concerning our eternal destiny, concerning everlasting life, because once we believe in him, we've passed death into life, is what he goes on to say in John 5.24. But on the other hand, Jesus did teach that believers will be judged. For example, the parable of the Mena in Luke 19, verses 16 through 26, he shows three servants that are judged by Christ after he returns. But we will not be judged for our sins, we will be judged for our works. Second Corinthians 5.10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Bad things may well be sins, but the point is they're not judged as sins because those are covered by the blood of Christ. They're judged as works. And so our works will be evaluated to determine our degree of reward in the coming kingdom. While all believers will have joy forever, some will have a more abundant life, more abundant joy. Some will rule with Christ, some will not. And there are multiple rewards involved. Those are going to be earned. Those are not free gifts. Now, when I have taught this in the past, I can remember looking into the faces of some people who were just kind of absolutely overwhelmed with this truth. But it's a vital truth that for some reason is largely ignored in many churches. So I would encourage you to go deeper with your study I'm sure right away you have some questions when it says good or bad. By the way, that term bad could easily be translated worthless. That there will be some things that we do in the course of our lives that may look good, but eh, they're kind of worthless. Why? Because the motivation behind some of our actions can be very much self-centered rather than focused uh, totally on the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Incidentally, Bob has covered this extensively. He's written a book on this topic, The Judgment Seat of Christ. Yes, I wrote a book called The Road to Reward, and people can check it out on our website or Amazon.com, but at faithalone.org they can read about it. And I have uh, chapters dealing with various passages. I also deal with the question that bothers some people about it seems selfish to strive for rewards. Um, and so, yeah, they can check out that, that book, and I go in much greater detail than obviously we can here. Now, when we do this study, we right away see the Apostle Paul emphasizes that the things that we do in the course of life need to be built upon one foundation— and that foundation is the person of Jesus Christ. And so what does that mean, though? What does it mean that when we live our lives and we do things, that we are building upon the foundation of the Savior? I asked Bob if he could give us some insights. I think the way we know we're building on the foundation is that we are well, well grounded in the Word of God. We need to be mature 
believers in order to be what Paul is talking about here, which is uh, a builder, even a master builder, who's building on the foundation. So we don't we don't take someone who has just come to faith in Christ last week and put them in the pulpit. And what we do is we have people who have matured in the faith and who are strong in the faith, and we have those people who are going to be uh, teaching the Word of God. And it seems to me that what Paul is talking about here is the builders who are building on the foundation, which is Christ, which, of course, starts on the the message we talked about before, sola fide, by faith alone. It has to be based on the free gift of everlasting life. But it also is based on all sound doctrine, the fact that Jesus is coming again, the fact that the rapture will occur soon, and the fact that we should have eager expectation for the rapture and Christ's soon return, and that we live each day in light of him coming back so that he doesn't catch his return doesn't catch us by surprise. The main aspects of it are the free gift of everlasting life and the fact that He is the one coming back to rule and reign forever. In the course of my conversation with Bob, I was able to reflect on a unique experience I had a number of years ago with one of our professors, Dr. J. Dwight Pentecost. We were talking about the judgment seat of Christ, and I brought up the idea that he will wipe away every tear. Dr. Pentecost held the position that those tears would be tears of regret. The moment Dr. Pentecost said that, there were tears in my eyes, thinking that I could stand before the Lord and and have tears because I failed to do the work he's given me to do. I, I didn't know how to handle that. Well, uh, Bob uh, has a little different view on this. I think very highly of Dr. Pentecost, who's now with the Lord. He uh, recently passed. Wonderful man, and uh, I've heard that view, and I used to hold that view. I've come to a slightly different view, but the the verse in question is Revelation chapter uh, 21 and verse 4. And after uh, John tells us about seeing the new heaven and the new earth, he says, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. The former things have passed away. I used to think, as Dr. Pentecost was saying, that that included um, the idea of regret at the judgment seat of Christ. So there is the option of being ashamed of ourselves at Christ's coming. And any regret we have at the judgment seat of Christ will be gone within a matter of minutes uh, because we're going to be in glorified bodies. We may have a sense of, I wish I hadn't uh, squandered so much of my life, but we'll certainly be content and we'll certainly be joyful and happy and not crying. I asked Bob to uh, just reflect on the fact that when we really live uh, to give an account to the Lord for our lives, that's when we really experience all that he intends for our lives. In order to live in such a way that you have the most abundant life possible, now and forever, you must live for Christ. Because he's made us so that we would glorify him. And as we glorify him, we have joy. We have peace and patience and kindness, goodness. You know, All the fruit of the Spirit come to those who are glorifying Christ. 
So our aim in life should be to glorify him, and that's how we benefit ourselves. There's really no conflict. If we're not glorifying Christ, then we're actually not doing what's best for ourselves. So it's a misnomer to think, well, I can quote-unquote live for myself and not live for Christ. So live for Christ, and you will have an abundant life. Remember, Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Knowing him, living for him, is the abundant life. I recently celebrated my birthday, and as I look back, I am so grateful that when I was a young man, the Holy Spirit moved on my heart, used the testimony of other believers, opened up God's word to me, and I came to faith in the Savior. My life dramatically, totally changed, and I am eternally grateful for that reality. And now I long to maximize whatever time I have left so that I'm ready for the Bema Seat of Christ. We want to encourage you to do the same.